Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the very first episode of the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm Neil Smoller. I'm a pharmacist and I'm a big mouth. Both of those things being true. So right off the bat, you know, at least I'm not a liar. I'm excited to do this podcast. It's a fusion of my sarcasm, no BS mentality, my profession and my love for vitamins and supplements. I'm a young dude. I'm 38 as of this recording, uh, and I own an independent pharmacy and supplement store in the most famous small town in America and arguably the world, Woodstock, New York. And you know what that means? I'm the aging hippies new drug dealer. Nothing fun, of course, just usually undoing all of the decades of damage from the fun times. Uh, I call myself a holistic pharmacist. Uh, That's largely a made up term by me. Uh, Like I said, I'm not a liar. No BS here. My goal isn't to push drugs. It's actually quite the opposite. I want more people off medications using nutrition, exercise, stress management, sleep, and yes, supplements to prevent as much disease as humanly possible. I uh, also know that while our healthcare system is a bit jacked up, I know that medicines, doctors, and the traditional stuff is a part of the whole thing. We can't live our best lives without all three pieces, lifestyle, supplements, and medications. Uh, So that's what I believe a real holistic pharmacist is if we were using made-up terms. So I want to just give you a rundown of how the podcast will work for me, a little synopsis. Uh, In the future, I'll be doing a little spiel like this at the beginning. It's going to be much, much shorter. Uh, Maybe I comment on something. Maybe I teach you something about your health, whatever. Most days after that, I'll flip over to an interview. I plan on bringing you some crazy characters and some great minds to discuss all things wellness, weed, and Woodstock. I've got people ready to talk about nutrition, CBD, herbals, the opioid crisis, why our healthcare system is messed up. Um, and then after that, I'll do a little Q&A session. So you can email me at hello at thebigmouthpharmacist.com or hello at woodstockvitamins.com. And I'll take your questions. Uh, today, I'm actually going to do one from one of my good customers here in Woodstock, someone who wants to know more about magnesium and calcium and how they're used together. In the future, I might even do a video of these podcast recordings so you can watch me sweat as I try to go 30 minutes without using bad language. Today's episode, however, is just me. I want to set the stage on me, why I'm a bit ranty at times, what drives me, where my head is at. I'm going to do this today by telling you a few stories. So imagine a young guy being told his cholesterol is high. He's resistant to medications because he's heard so much bad stuff about them. Plus, he doesn't want to be on a drug for the rest of his life. He goes to his pharmacy or grocery store looking for something natural. He finds the supplement section and there's just this wall, a big, towering, intimidating wall of supplements. It's almost as if it's going to fall over on top of him and he doesn't even know where to start. Imagine also a middle-aged woman starting to feel it, the creep of aging. She wants to get on a good track, make the whole thing a little bit smoother, maybe repent for some of the sins of her past, (laughs) make some good choices. She goes to her local health food store and asks the young, knowledgeable clerk what she should take. She leaves with a handful of recommendations. The thing is, she takes medicines. And she wasn't asked once if she was taking medicines or what those medicines could be. 
And another scenario, a young mom wants to make the best decisions for her new growing family, looking to make the right choices, looking for natural products. Uh, her doctor doesn't want to hear it, and he's either aloof or straight out dismissive. Yeah, don't, don't use that stuff. It doesn't work. But she's persistent, so she spends a lot of time reading all that she can. And the information she's finding sounds good. She's trying hard. She knows she has to try hard to find good information. She looks at lots of different sources, and most of them are saying the same thing. But how does she really know what's real, though, and what's just hype? We know these scenarios. We've heard them before, and we're aware that these are the things, the problems with the supplement industry that we're familiar with. Uh, There's so many choices in the natural product space, it's hard to sort through them all. And when we talk to people who seem knowledgeable in supplements, do they really know how to make solid recommendations? One of the things I've always said is, like, if you're going to tell somebody it boosts your immune system, a product... uh, do you even know how the immune system works? And that's not always the case. And many of us are empowered to do research, but we have to be super cautious of what information we consume. Uh, we're becoming more aware of misinformation, right? Fake news. It might be new to politics, but it's been part of the supplement industry for over five decades. But that's not even the real problem, and it's not what I get so ranty about. The real problem here is greed. Let me explain. The supplement industry, uh, regulations are relatively new and still not as thorough as they should be. Entities whose job it is to regulate the manufacturers have few resources. Basically, they don't have enough funding to stay on top of the problems, let alone be proactive and prevent the problems. So we're playing whack-a-mole. We're trying to catch the bad guys as they make their mistakes and they, they give us harmful products. But we're not, uh, we don't have enough resources to prevent the problems in the first place. And, and not to be cynical, but what do you think is going to happen if the government regulations are a little bit loose and the entities in the government that are supposed to regulate don't have enough resources. What do you think that outcome is going to be? And I assume anyone listening to me has been around long enough to know that for the most part, companies will bend or break rules. Some will do it way more than others, but everyone is doing it. It's my belief that many supplement manufacturers are not doing what's right. They're making products, but those products won't do anything. Besides lighten your wallet, maybe, and make you feel like you're making the right choice. Some of these products even are dangerous. They're filled with contaminants like heavy metals or harmful chemicals that over time can hurt you. And these companies cut corners because they're not held accountable, and it's in their financial best interest to cut these corners. So what I'm saying is that those of us who are using detox products to remove the heavy metals from their bodies are using products that are probably laced with high amounts of heavy metals from cheap raw materials. Uh, But you wouldn't know it. And that's just the manufacturers. Now, imagine the retailers, the people selling the products. Retailers are only going to sell you what's popular or what's marketed best. They're not going to put in products that you've never heard of before. They're going to put the things that are being promoted by all these people out in in the Internet and everything. Uh, It's incredibly rare to find a company that uh, will actually vet the products that they bring in. And if these people are vetting the products, it's not based on a consistent set of standards, nor is it even going to be thorough enough. Uh, This is a long way of me saying there's no one rubber stamp for 
this is the right one uh, in the natural products industry. At best, what we have is this is a good product. And there's a difference between a good product and what works. The regulations try to ensure good products. Basically, if you have a, a bottle and it says this is what's in there, then the regulation says, yes, whatever they're saying on the label is in the product. But we don't want what's on the label. We want the thing that works. And I've got a great story to elaborate on this. My grandfather would love it that I'm telling this story. Um, so when I told my family I wanted to be a pharmacist when I was a kid, my grandfather would always tell me the same story over and over again as grandfathers do. And he said, I used to make medicine for people when I was a kid. I would take rabbit droppings. Okay, Bob, great. Here we go. And I would paint them white and then put an S on them. I'd tell people that they're smart pellets. When they would say that they tasted like feces, he'd say, well, they're getting smarter already. And it's a silly off-color joke, but it definitely brings up a good point here. The current regulations will only make sure that the product is what the label says it is. It doesn't say that the product works. It's the right dose. It's the right form. All it's literally doing is saying is if you're making smart pellets, you're doing it consistently with the same formula. The stove, uh, the, the stove is the right temperature. The paint is the right white. And the product matches what you're saying. It is on the label, right? But I don't want to take smart pellets that are poop, I want to take something that actually makes me smarter, right? Um, so the, the, the problem is, is that we're assuming too much and we trust too much because medicines are the same at any drugstore from any manufacturer from sea to shining sea. We think the same is true of supplements. If we went into a Rite Aid in New York and a Publix in Florida, and there was a difference between the amoxicillin in the one store versus the other, we would be rioting in the streets. Imagine if the antibiotic that you were going to give your kid had a potential for contaminants because the government agency that was responsible for, for watching over everything um, didn't have enough funding to make sure that the product was safe. I would hope that we'd be burning down buildings, right? Uh, but in the supplement industry, we are uh, ignorant of it, unfortunately, and they, they bank on this. Um, so the fact is, is supplements can differ from brand to brand in the same store. People who are educated on supplements know a lot about supplements, but they don't understand that basic, basic tenet is that there is not consistency from product to product. You don't want the best made smart pellets from my grandfather. You want something that will make you smarter. And that's how you have to look at this. I ask a lot of questions when someone wants me to recommend a product, right? Can we even absorb it? So here's a common example I love to talk about, vitamin C. Everybody wants to take mega doses of vitamin C for whatever reason. I'm okay with whatever product that you want to take, but our bodies can only absorb 200 milligrams. Why are you taking 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C? Literally, the, most of it is just going to stay in your gut and it's going to leave in the stool. People are being recommended now to use stevia for Lyme disease, right? So uh, stevia in this test tube study showed that it killed Lyme bacteria. Well, so does salt water, right? But stevia can't physically be absorbed into the bloodstream. So why would somebody recommend that? And two, uh, you know, why aren't we asking these important questions? Like, can, does this thing even do anything, right? If we do absorb it, is it the right dose, right? So 500 milligrams of Tylenol stops your headache, right? Wouldn't you get mad if I was your pharmacist and I gave you a pill that had 10 milligrams in it? But the supplement industry is notorious for doing this. I call it fairy dusting, right? Currently, like here's an example. The, the recommendations for omega-3 fats sat, you know, found in fish oil, it's close to 3,000 milligrams a day. That's how much you should be eating, a couple servings of fish every day practically. People buy fish oil pills and take one a day thinking that they're getting some magical pill that's going to save their hearts. And the amount of 
active ingredient there is less than 300, not 3,000. It's not doing anything for them. We have to think about this company and what they're doing to the environment. Are they being sustainable uh, or are they being the devil and overfishing when they're getting their fish oil pills? Uh, are they eating all the whale food uh, uh, and to putting them in your magic uh, skin pellets, right? Um, are they being mean to the fishermen? Are they devastating the fisher- fishing communities? So there's a lot of things that we have to consider before we can say, oh, this supplement is what it says it is. So many of, many of us know that we have to care about olive oil, right? Uh I didn't know that this was a problem, but olive oil, and it's, we're just talking about the food, right? It's often adulterated. They take vegetable oils that are cheap, and then they add it to some olive oil, just enough to cover the taste, and then they, they sell it to you, and it looks authentic, and you're, you're gobbling the stuff up, but it's just cheap vegetable oil, right? And that's just olive oil. Now, imagine uh, a supplement that you have to absorb, something that has to get into your body, something that has to not cause side effects, and all of that, right? So this is a real, real problem. My goal isn't to get you to not want to use supplements. This is, sounds awfully scary to most people when I first go ranty about this. But in, in, in fact, it's just the opposite. I want people to use well-made supplements and only when it's justified. If we can get people to use only the things they need, people will use fewer and fewer products. Supplements can help you achieve wellness goals, but we have to be aware that there's a level of complexity to it that the natural product industry doesn't want you to know. People rip on big pharma all the time. And this is my favorite, favorite thing to discuss with people. Yeah, the big pharma companies, they're jerks. Uh, The money, the corruption, uh, it's a no-brainer. We know what's going on, right? But the supplement industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's owned largely by massive mega corporations. And, you know, in our research, we found 14 that own hundreds of actually competing brands. So one company will have brands that are competitors in the space. And a few of those 14, big pharma companies, right? And they probably love it. They probably own your favorite brand. And they're so, so happy that you're you're saying, I don't want to use big pharma. I want to use natural products because they're making money on both sides. Greed, greed, greed. Big Pharma also has a problem with the drug reps, right? So the drug reps go around, your doctor is bought and paid for, he gets a pen, so then he changes how he's prescribing uh, medicine, right? And even the best doctors have admitted that it's actually a problem. There's enough data now that we know that even the smallest bit of influence can change the the way the prescriber uh, recommends things, okay? So you think that exists just in the big pharma industry? That happens in the supplement industry too. Supplement brands have drug reps that pay your supplement experts, quote unquote, to speak and take them on trips and even give them free stuff. You don't think that changes how a supplement expert feels about a brand or a product? So they know how to market and move their products. It doesn't matter if they're doing it with any integrity because greed is the problem. In a world that's so, so polarized, we need to understand that when it comes to wellness, it's not the fake dichotomy of the big pharma versus the small natural products industry. They're both the devil, but they both can be angels. It's not alternative medicine versus traditional medicine. It's good medicine versus bad medicine. Good medicine is safe, well-made products, natural or traditional, that support a health goal. Bad medicine is poorly made products, overpriced, chock full of misinformation and hype. When we get to this fork in the road, when you come to this decision point, am I going to go natural or am I going to go traditional? I say go straight. Okay? Don't go down either path like they want us to. Go straight down the middle path of wellness, choosing a 
good medicine, diet, lifestyle modifications, well-made supplements when you need them only, and traditional medicine and professional advice. I rant to protect you, the consumer. I want you to know that there's gold in these hills. Supplements are great. When paired with these lifestyle modifications, you can achieve your optimal wellness. We just have to be aware of the games they're playing. And in my closing thoughts here of this initial rant, uh, basically the question is, is what gives you the right, the confused podcast listener says. I'm not an expert, right? I don't perform research. I'm not out there uh, writing up the white papers on this. I'm a licensed professional. I've spent my career educating people. I can break these concepts down and feed them to you with the goal of you being a smarter, more engaged consumer. I'm a guy who's seen enough behind the scenes in pharmacy and in the natural products industry to know what's up. I ask tough questions and I don't take easy answers. I'll gladly be a thorn in someone's side to get to the truth. I'm not perfect, but what I am is persistent. I'm consistent too. I'm using lots of assistant words. And that I'm constantly trying to get better at finding out this information and then getting it into your hands in a way that you can understand and you can act on it. This podcast is just another way that I can do that. Get this into your ears, into your brains to make you find this path to wellness when you're lost along the road. Our first question is from a loyal Woodstock, New York customer uh, named Vicky. Hello, Vicky. Our question is, Neil, what's the deal with calcium and magnesium? Somebody told me that I have to take it in a two to one ratio. Is that right? That is a awesome question. I put the hounds on it. We researched it. And guess what we found? We found that the idea of a two to one ratio of calcium and magnesium was literally made up. There was one naturopath on the internet that decided that two to one is the ratio that they wanted it to be, and then that became the thing. Um, There is no requirement of calcium to magnesium intake for one to work better than the other. Um, The National Institute of Health says if you're a man, you need 1,000 milligrams of calcium over age 50 and 400 milligrams of magnesium. So that's kind of close to a two to one. But a woman over a woman over 50 needs uh, 1,200 milligrams of calcium and 300 milligrams of magnesium approximately. That's a four to one ratio. So really, um, the only ratio that you need is the one that is, uh, you know, recommended by the experts. And that's uh, those numbers that I just gave you. So um, don't stress trying to get that two to one ratio. It's not going to really change anything for you. And I hope that answered your question. I've got one question from somebody that's sitting right next to me. Dana, the podcast producer, is here, and she asked me, Hey, Neil, you had recommended that I eat before bedtime to make sure that my blood sugar doesn't drop in the middle of the night and I keep my metabolism raring to go. But I also have a problem with some reflux that might be causing me some uh, irritation in my esophagus overnight. And if I eat close to bedtime, my GI doctor says that that contributes to it. So what the deal? Well, um, we're both right, I guess, is the way to say it. Um, the it, Yes, if you eat something too close to bedtime and then go lay down, gravity is going to pull on you uh, and it's going to pull all of that stomach acid up into your esophagus, especially if you already have like weakened 
esophageal sphincters, right? So if you are already in a state where you have too much acid and then you lie down, there's a higher risk that you're going to have worse reflux symptoms. Um, so I would recommend just spacing the timing before bed. I'm really not suggesting that people eat and then or as they're sitting up in bed and then go to bed. What I'm thinking is, is that if you eat an hour, hour and a half before you start your bedtime routine, that's probably the best strategy. So that way the stuff is digested and moved past your gut into the small intestine. Uh, I think that would be a good way to fly. One of the things I always like to uh, reiterate, the types of foods that I like people to eat in general whenever they eat anything should be a balance of carbohydrates, good carbohydrates, it's not breads and pastas, but like fruits and vegetables, along with protein sources and good healthy fats. So before bed, a really great snack is maybe like a couple slices of an apple and a teaspoon or so of peanut butter. I'm not... Ex- Expecting you to have a Thanksgiving meal at all. Um, just saying that you should make sure that you have a little bit of something in your stomach because going 8 to 12 hours without food would be pretty insane during the day. Um, so why are we okay with it at night? So we want to make sure that we have um, a, a food source available uh, uh, for our, our brains and um, our bodies to, to keep everything consistent through the night. So um, I would follow your GI doctor's recommendation because he's smarter than I am. And then I would still try to make an attempt to um, eat something at least an hour, hour and a half before your bedtime routine. So I hope that answered your question, Dana, and she's nodding and saying yes. So that's good. We, we've saved a life. So my next question is from Uncle Tony in Woodstock, New York. Hi, Uncle Tony. Happy birthday. I saw it was your birthday the other day. Uh, I uh, have a question about probiotics, Neil, because he's an Italian guy. This is how he talks. So I've got a question about probiotics. When can I take them with my antibiotic? Uh, all right, Tony. All right. I got you. So um, so this is a great question. Tony wants to know when you should be taking a probiotic or if you should be taking a probiotic when you're on an antibiotic. And this um, in the pharmacy slash supplement world is a huge place for misconception. So I definitely want to uh, address this in, in a clear cut manner. So antibiotics, their job is to kill bacteria. They aren't selective to be able to take out the bad bacteria and then leave the good bacteria. The good bacteria lines your gut, lines all of your cavities, and it helps you live and and have a healthy life, right? They perform lots of good uh, functions, helping us absorb minerals and break down stuff and make hormones and all this great stuff. So the good guys get picked on when the bad guys are getting eradicated. And if we don't reintroduce the good guys on a regular basis, then we're going to pull away all of those good guys, while we kill off some of the bad guys, some of the bad guys hang out, and guess what? They grow. They overgrow. The good guys aren't there to keep the bad guys in check anymore. And then now, instead of having just a, a respiratory tract infection, now you get respiratory tract infection and diarrhea. But I don't even care about diarrhea. I do care about diarrhea, but I don't care about diarrhea in this situation because the problem is, is the antibiotic causes diarrhea is normally a, a, a sign of potential super infection, meaning the bad bacteria that are left that are running amok, they can overgrow to a point where the diarrhea gets so severe it becomes a real medical issue. And you have to take another antibiotic to make up for that um, super infection. So that's what we want to prevent because super infections can cause hospitalizations in some people. So um, I recommend a well-made probiotic to be started immediately with your antibiotic dose. I used to say, eat yogurt. Yogurt's great. But, you know, everything's so processed now. There's not, you know, consistency. 
When you eat a yogurt product, you're getting a mixed bag of strains at doses that are all over the place. What's better is to get a consistent amount. And guess what? Probiotics don't have the calories, and I'm watching my waistline. And they're more expensive, right? So um, it's cheaper to use a well-made probiotic. So how do you use a probiotic when you're on an antibiotic? Well, here's the, the, the answer. If you take a probiotic right with an antibiotic dose, that antibiotic and it will play rock, paper, scissors in your gut. And guess who's going to win? The antibiotic every time because he's like cheating. He's doing the thing with his finger, right? So so you always want to make sure that you space your antibiotic from your probiotic dose. So typically, say, let's say, for example, your antibiotic is a two-time-a-day medication. It's once in the morning, once at night. Take that probiotic four hours away from your morning dose. Take it with your lunch, right? If you have a three-time-a-day medication, just split one of those, right? So uh, if it's in the morning and then the afternoon and then at bedtime, sometime between that morning dose and that afternoon dose, take your probiotic. Space it at least two to four hours from your antibiotic dose. Don't wait. One of the things I hear is, well, I waited till after my antibiotic was done to start the probiotic. And that seems like a smart move because they're like, well, doesn't the probiotic get killed by the antibiotic? And it does, but it's all about the consistency. It's all about just keep you just keep throwing stuff at it and hopefully you'll be replenishing the the good stuff in in your gut. So uh, always start the probiotic immediately with the first dose of your antibiotic spaced by a couple hours, right? So to summarize, you get put on antibiotics, especially what are called broad spectrum antibiotics. I as a pharmacist recommend a well-made probiotic to go along with that. You start that within a couple hours of your first dose and take it consistently. Um, you take it right through the therapy. And some people, like me, recommend that you not stop. The antibiotic will hang around for a few days after you stop the pills. For example, Z-Packs, you only take five days worth of pills. It's in your body for 10 days. So I recommend waiting 10 to 14 days after your antibiotic is finished to stop the probiotic. Um, so that's how you would do the probiotic antibiotic together. Uh, and Uncle Tony, I hope that answered your question. So that's it. The first podcast is in the books. As you can tell, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, heavy stuff like the opioid crisis and fun stuff like weed and the end to marijuana prohibition in America. For a bunch of the time, though, we're going to be talking about diarrhea, because there's one thing that I know from being a father and being a practicing pharmacist for 15 years is everybody poops, but nobody does it with any regularity. I'm excited to let my big mouth flap here to lend what some may call wit or even humor to the podcast formula, I guess. If I can lay down one goal for this project, it would be just to shift people's perspective a tad, to tweak it, to strip away the BS and get past all that rhetoric I was talking about. I want to help move the conversation from the two-sided pharma versus natural stuff, good medicine versus bad medicine medicine is where we need to be and I'm just trying to keep it real so I'll catch you next time